it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Welter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. How are you? Always so much to talk about. Oh my gosh, it's never ending. It's insane. And I want to start off talking about uh, the Supreme Court and what ha- what happened with uh, Justice Kavanaugh, this atap- attempted assassination on his life. And thank goodness that the guy who uh, was wanted to kill Kavanaugh at least was cognizant and lucid and sane enough to call 911 and say, I'm going to do something bad here. But there, there's, a, there is a lot to talk about here when it comes to this because it's being ignored by the mainstream media and this new level of violence in our country against certain institutions is something that we should all be taking note of and it is very scary. So who better to join us than Carrie Severino? She's the president of the Judicial Crisis Network and she's the co-author of the book Justice on Trial, the Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Supreme Court. Carrie Severino, thank you so much for joining me. Great to be here. So, you know, there's so much, as I said, to talk about when it comes to what what happened with Justice Kavanaugh. And if this man had not made that phone call, could we be having a totally different conversation this morning? Absolutely. I mean, look, I I, I am am optimistic that the the, the security, the marshals and the police that that are taking care of our house would have caught that in time, but we just don't know. I mean, this could have, this, it was a, it is a tragedy that he got this far and it could have been a much greater tragedy. This, you know, the, the risk to justices flowing from this leak opinion is, cannot be understated. And, and now it's not just theoretical. Now we know that this is, it's, it's real. There was a real person and, and God forbid there could be others. I think the court needs to move forward, release the opinion ASAP, because um, while there's still going to be, people who are outraged and upset, the idea that someone could change this opinion um, by taking, uh, you know, criminal acts like this is uh, really a problem and creates all the wrong incentives, obviously, when when, when politicians are just stoking uh, fear-mongering over this opinion as well. I think it's, um, it's very reckless. You talk about the, the, the fear-mongering, you know, obviously Chuck Schumer being the one who, who was the most out there when it comes to that fear-mongering, when it comes to the, you know, um, what he said. I think we have that, don't we, Eric? Do we have that? We do. This I just want to remind everyone what Chuck Schumer had to say. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh. You have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Now, he can say something like that, but yet Donald Trump is basically on trial, and we're going to get another round of it today uh, for, for telling people to peacefully go and you know make their voices heard on January 6th. Why is there no accountability? This is a theme I see a lot of frustration in so many areas of our government, not just this issue. Yeah, it's it's very frustrating uh, to see uh, 
politicians like Senator Schumer saying things that are very reckless. I mean, even if, and you have in the White House as well saying, oh, well, you know, people protesting at their homes, these are mostly, these are peaceful protests, and we're going to, you know, we, we encourage peaceful protests, et cetera. You know what, folks? This is why doxing justices and giving out their addresses is a really bad idea. You, it, you just can't go along. It, it, is, it is dangerous to, to put these out there and then to continue to endorse people going to their homes um, and to use the kind of rhetoric. Because even if, you know, 99% of the people out there, uh, thank God, so far have been protesting uh, peacefully, we, we all know that on all sides of the aisle, there are crazy people. There are people who think this is something that I can just do to make a name for myself. And um, it, that's why we cannot, we need to have more, more privacy for our public servants who are at this kind of risk. We don't want um, our system to become one where judges are making decisions not because of what they know is the correct legal result, not because of what they think the Constitution says, but because they fear for their own safety. Right, but and and we know that this guy said that he got the justices Kavanaugh's address because it was doxxed and put out online. But there's no accountability for that. And this is mm-hmm. again, I keep saying this. It, it's really to me so blatant. You know, Ilhan Omar claims that she got some threatening messages, and so there's a press conference, and she's out there practically in tears. And now we have to pay for you know extra armed security for Ilhan Omar. Why is it that? Why is that so egregious? But yet this is. Okay, and listen. Neither one. I'm not saying what happened to her is is a good thing, and it should be ignored. I'm not saying that at all. But why is there concern for one and not the other? Yeah, we need to be discouraging uh, violence, threats, intimidation across the board. And you know what's so discouraging? She she has the ability to just get up to security right away. But the there was a bill that was unanimously passed by the Senate. Uh, that would give increased security to Supreme Court justices, and particularly to extend that to their families. Remember, uh, Justice Kavanaugh, Justice Barrett, they have they have young children still. Um, and this is so, you know, this is not just the justice that is under threat. It's the um, their their spouse. It's the children living in their home. I mean, that is something uh, that is outrageous to me, that the House has refused to take up that bill. Um, I think Nancy Pelosi is afraid it might actually pass because, you can see if you, you've got de- unanimous Democrat support even in the Senate. Um, Americans do want their justices to be safe across the board, you know, whichever side of the aisle they're on. And, and we want our, our con- members of Congress, same thing. And so I think we need to move forward to provide that extra security to them as well. Yeah. And AOC bragged about blocking it. Mm-hmm. Remember, a- AOC, AOC said, you know, like, oh, yeah, I I. I block this because she uh, feels that it should also be extended to, as Nancy Pelosi says she does, to the uh, members of their uh, staff as well. It shouldn't just be to members of Congress. And I don't know at what point. Here's the other part of this. I'm going to I'm going to delve into something maybe a little far afield here with you, because when we talk about security, but yet at the same time, we find out that there's been a framework, you know, for for Second Amendment, for gun rights. I don't think that politicians or the political class, the ruling class, the Kardashians, the elites and athletes, et cetera, in this country should have access to better security than the rest of us just because they can afford it. It should be the same for for everyone. We should all have the right to protect our families. So it looks like we're 
extending the level of protection because of the crazy people in this country uh, to the elites, yet those elites are taking away the rights for the little guy to protect their family. A law-abiding family in Chicago that's stuck in Chicago can't have the same access to the same protection as someone who can pay for it. Is that a leap too far? Well, you know, what's interesting is the Supreme Court is considering a case this term, which is, in fact, one of the cases this guy cited. It was the Dobbs case and abortion and this gun case that they're considering um, that, that excited he cited as one in making him want to kill Justice Kavanaugh. Um, but that case has to do with a New York law that says you can't – no one can open carry, but you can only conceal carry if you have a permit, and the permit only goes to people who have basically – but reasons that there's someone threatening them. So some, this could be someone who maybe has a protective order, but for the most part, that's going to be elites, as you're saying, who have maybe a stalker or high enough profile that they are considered a specific threat. But our Second Amendment is supposed to apply to all Americans evenly, not just Americans who have a high enough profile that they can show that they um, are in danger and at risk. So I think it's, it's interesting that the Supreme Court's going to consider or is considering exactly that issue. And we could we could hear a decision on that as early as today. Oh, that, yeah, it, because it just makes me so crazy that, you know, rules for thee, but not for me. I mean, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. that that whole thing. And it seems to be growing in this country. I do think that we have to keep our justices safe because this is intimidation of the court. And we don't have any kind of pullback because of the party in power likes this violence. I, I am I am I going too far when I say that? Well, you know, I I, I, I can't say as to what they're actually uh <laughs> I hope that, you know, none of the other justices that are our members of Congress aren't actually hoping for anyone to get uh, killed. But certainly the, the, the protests, the unrest is politically helpful. And when you think of what was the objective of the person who leaked this draft opinion, historic, huh. you know, no one has ever leaked a full opinion like this before. What was their objective? It was specifically to create this kind of unrest. And when you listen to the groups that are doing the protests, what they're saying they want is we want to make the justices so uncomfortable, so feel so unsafe that, that they will change their votes. That's not how the rule of law works. They, we shouldn't have justices who are coming to conclusions because they feel for their own personal safety. That's right. not the American way. That's how you do it in Cuba. That's how you do it in Venezuela. That's not how we do it in America. And so it's very discouraging that that is, you know, you know kind of un- unashamedly the objective that we are going to, um, you know, protest and, and threaten and bully you into coming to a result we like. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Coming up, we've got more with Carrie Severino coming up because uh, there was a warning from Senator Chris Coons yesterday on Fox News Sunday. And I want to get into that with you uh, as well and get your opinion on what he had to say. If anyone would like to join in, it's one 866 I would love to hear from you. 866-408-7669. I'm Mary Walter. Got more with Carrie Severino on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Hey folks, it's your man Keyshawn Johnson here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals, 
to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Chuck Schumer went to the steps of the Supreme Court and threatened the justices. The White House actively encouraged protesters to go to the home of Supreme Court justices, despite the fact that it is there's a federal criminal prohibition on doing so while a court case is pending. It's the only time that I'm aware of where the White House, literally from the White House press room, has encouraged the ongoing commission of a felony. That was Senator Ted Cruz uh, speaking this uh, on Friday regarding what happened, the attempted assassination of Justice Kavanaugh. Joining me is Carrie Severino. She has an excellent piece on FoxNews.com called Supreme Court Intimidation Has Taken Justices to a Dark Place. And it talks about some of the history of the intimidation of, of justices going back to Robert Bork. And it's amazing, Carrie, how it's one side that always seems to be intimidated. Why is that? Well, I, I'm, I'm glad to say that this isn't something that um, people on the right have decided is the way to make their point. Um, I think that is that is absolutely correct. There's there are some things that are you just lines you do not cross. We have to maintain the moral high ground. That means making these arguments very strongly and very uh, passionately, but in the proper sphere. So, you know, making the arguments, the legal arguments in court, making an amicus brief, uh, you can make them in op-eds. You can, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people march on the Supreme Court every year at the March for Life, but not in violence, not uh, to the justices' houses in a way that that threatens their personal safety. Because what that says really is, we know where you live. Right. It, is, it is sort of inherently threatening to say, I'm, I'm showing up at your front door, and any day you might walk out and you don't know what's, <laughs> what's there waiting for you, right? So, so there is a way to discuss these issues, and, and we, can, we have to know how to do that without threatening people. And it's, it's concerning because there's a lot of 
uh, movements that are downplaying uh, the 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 um, even prohibitions on like assassination in the first place. A really shocking poll that came out recently showing surprising numbers of young Americans, particularly thinking that yeah, it actually it would be okay to kill people in certain circumstances because of a political result. Whoa, where are we here? So we have to regain our civil discourse and our ability to talk about these issues in a civil way that still, you know, it doesn't doesn't go across into violence. Right. Now, in your piece, you note that there's a lot of dark money that seems to be organizing and funding a a lot of this, of what's going on, these protesters outside of the homes, even even the possibility of some of them being paid to be there. Wow, I find that shocking. But Senator Chris Coons was um, was on Fox News this weekend, yesterday on Sunday, and he had, listen to what he had to say here. Now, when I heard this, because I had, you know, tie it in with your column about, wow, well, this dark money that is funding all these protesters. Listen to what Senator Chris Coons warned of yesterday. I do think there's a distinguishable difference between what we just heard from Senator Schumer and the actions taken by former President Trump and his circle of advisors in the days before January 6th. Okay, and the results were clear and I think catastrophic. The physical assault of officers that led to several officer deaths and the shattering uh, of the Capitol perimeter. Uh, Frankly, as one of the members of the Senate who had to be escorted out along with the vice president by Capitol Police, uh, just feet ahead of an angry mob, uh, I do think that we are at risk of a season of political violence in this country, and all of us should reduce the temper and level of our rhetoric. We're we're at the risk for a season of political violence, and it's already started, hasn't it? We saw what they called the summer of love. So he's talking about both sides have to tone down the rhetoric, yet they don't tone down the rhetoric. And it's okay. Merrick Garland is not enforcing the law to keep the Ruth Ruth Sentas group from protesting outside these justices homes. They're being allowed to do it. So is is he warning us that this rhetoric is going to be amped up, especially if they don't get the ruling they want? You know, that's what's, what's really concerning. I, I, I was glad to see that he did say at a part in that interview that he didn't condone Senator, use, Senator Schumer using that level of rhetoric. But I, I think we, we all need to be part of taking that down. There's a lot of fear-mongering that goes on about these decisions. But then you have groups, again, like Ruth sent us, which it is incredibly difficult to find out, you know, who's funding them. It's, it is it operates in a way that is the hallmark of some of these same dark money groups who are, of course, the most radical. Most uh, most Democrats even do not want people protesting at justices' homes, and that's based on polling that happened before the Kavanaugh um, attempted assassination. So I think this is something that is way out of the, the mainstream, but they're trying to mainstream the idea that, you know what, it's okay to uh, to take this kind of, of violence. And I think we, we all need to as Senator Kuhn said, I think I would have I, – I, I don't agree with all of his comparisons there, but I think uh, he is right insofar as it's like let's bring this volume down because we need to make sure that people are, are uh, still having uh, dialogues and not, um, and not uh, verging into uh, violence. Yeah, and and I, I I fear what's going to happen is what usually happens. It boils, it boils, it boils. It finally boils over, and something happens where someone is killed, mm-hmm. and then they all get out there and they hold hands and they sing kumbaya and they apologize. Oh, you know, this is a terrible, horrible thing. We need to bring down the rhetoric, but not one of them apologizes for their words. 
And and that bothers me. The apologies are demanded. Remember, President Trump had to say the words that they wanted him to say, but yet they will not even say, you know what, I, I apologize. I should, probably shouldn't have said that. My words were too far. Not one of them will do that. Um, I, we've got to go. Carrie Severino, thank you so much for joining us. You can find her piece on foxnews.com. Supreme Court intimidation has taken justices to a dark place. I highly recommend reading it because, as I said, the history of this going back it's not new, and I found it really eye-opening and educational. Carrie Severino, thank you. Thanks. I'm Mary Walter. You are listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show, and if you want to join in, one 408 866-408-7669. Yours calls coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The point I would agree with is the New York Times buried this. Yeah, it was like if a this tiny had been thing a, below the fold. If this had been a liberal Supreme Court justice that someone came to kill, it would, have been on the, it would have been on the front page. And that's what's so disappointing about a paper like the New York Times. Because they just wear their bias on their sleeves. And they, if it's not part of something that feeds our narrative... Uh, as Bill Maher, he was on with Kelly and he had Kelly and Conway as his guest. And they they agreed on something. They also disagreed on some things, but they they did agree on the fact that, you know, the atta- attempted assassination on Justice Kavanaugh was basically buried by the media. And he's absolutely right. I give Bill Maher credit for calling it out because we all see that most Americans see the double standard. Even those on the left will see the double standard when it comes to a lot of the media. And, and listen, people on the right see, see, see the double standard as well. So and from, from different outlets, right? Uh, so we're not blind and we, we see it. So I give Bill Maher credit for calling it out, but he's not the only one. So... There was a, a political panel on CNN, and they uh, David Gregory is a political correspondent for them, and they were talking about uh, the, the at- assassination attempt on Justice Kavanaugh. Listen to what CNN had to say. Every politician has an obligation to stand up, condemn this, and to do something about it. And the truth is that a lot of people on the left who are in political power are being so hypocritical about this. They, they lecture us all the time about the excesses of the right, including Donald Trump on, on January 6th, fomenting mob violence. And yet they're out there countenancing, as they have with statements before, that it's okay to stand outside these people's homes. Did you hear that? That was CNN. Now, I don't know if CNN has finally decided to become journalists. I have no idea. You know, they had, to, they had to take their journalism degrees out of the closet and dust them off and fumigate them and get the cobwebs off of them. But that's on CNN calling out the hypocrisy of the left when it comes to political violence. I almost fell off my chair when I heard that. I thought that that was crazy when I, when I heard that. I, and so what do you think is going on here? Are they actually being journalists? Eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. That's David Gregory on CNN. Well, Bill Maher a lot of times will will get it right. Bill Maher will 
I disagree with him on some things, but I do think that he does try to walk that line down the middle where he tries to go, you know, tries to see both sides equally. But I said enough. I want to hear from you, David. Excuse me, Steve. There's no David on the on the. I don't know where I got that from. Uh, Steve in Spring Hill, Florida, listening on WXJB. Steve, you are on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi. Hi. Can you hear me? I sure can. Go ahead. Um, well, I live in a little town in Spring Hill, Florida, and we're basically construction workers, and and um and we have to pull permits for everything that I do. And basically, I've worked for a lot of law enforcement and um, public people, um, officials, and their information is always locked out on the internet. And I was just wondering. I had heard earlier when I was listening to you that he received. Uh, Justice Kavanaugh's address online mm-hmm. from a website somewhere, and and I was just wondering, is there some kind of assault on? Is there somebody that can be held accountable for that? Because, ma'am, with all due respect, we can't even pull a permit on a sheriff's deputy's house yeah. here. Uh, we take the paperwork to the permit office blank, and they actually officially fill out the information. And even if you try to search it on GPS. It won't come up on your phone. It'll skip the address completely and go to the next one. So I, I, I didn't, and I know that's, I know it's simple talk, but I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't understand how somebody was able to even get Justin Kavanaugh's address. Oh, well, that don't, be apolog- don't apologize and don't say it's simple talk because I had the same thought as you did. So what he did was apparently somebody it was published the uh, addresses of the conservative justices were published online in some kind of article. Now, when I say article, I use that term loosely doesn't mean it came from like the Washington Post or something like that. Uh, but it was it was made available. They were doxxed and that information was put out there. And that's where he got it. Someone on the left did this but to your point how is that okay why are we why is no why is no one being prosecuted for that right like th- that's a great question and, and i ask that question, question all the time we we prosecuted we sent swat teams to get grandmas who were standing in statuary hall and a video just came out where there were all these people milling around statuary hall taking pictures and the cops are just standing there with their hands folded on the sidelines watching everybody because no one was trashing anything no one was doing anything but those people we found out who they were by facial recognition and asking neighbors to rat them out and we sent SWAT teams to go arrest them but we can't find out who did this why do I not believe that they don't want to find out who did this well I mean I I just think that I mean, dude, something's wrong with that. He's a public official. I mean, I can't even get a deputy's address right? Uh, or, Although, or legal okay. information online. We actually go to them personally. It, you know, right. somebody should be held accountable for that. That's all I'm saying. I agree 100%, Steve. Thank you so much for joining me, 100%. And that's what I started off the interview with Carrie, is I said to her, uh, Carrie Severino, if you missed it, we, ha- we, we just spoke with her. Uh, but I said to her, you know, this lack of accountability, and I sensed this throughout government uh the wildfires in new mexico you know biden just announced that they're gonna the federal government meaning you and me we're gonna pay for the cleanup for for debris removal and all this other stuff we're gonna pay for that what about the guy with the park service or the national wildlife service whoever who who, they did a control burn and oops they didn't put it out all the way it reignited and burned down all these people's home and is still going and it merged with another wildfire that they also started and got out of control. 
what about the people who did this? And I'm not saying that they're going to be able to pay for everyone's home and make people whole and, and foot the bill themselves. But do they still have jobs? Do they at least get fired? There's no accountability. And you and I are going to foot the bill for this now. You know, because it's easy because they're government workers. They're like, oh, well, oops, eh, taxpayers will pay for it. Oh, well, sorry, our bad. There's no accountability. And, and that's I realize this is a, a little bit of a different thing. Somebody chose to do this. But if this was, I firmly believe that if someone had doxed the liberal justices and put their information out there that resulted in the same course of action as what happened with Justice Kavanaugh, it would be a totally different response from our federal government totally different response. And you can disagree with me. 866-408-7669. I've got more of your calls coming up. I'm Mary Walter in for Brian Kilmeade. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. I believe, of course, in peaceful protest. So I know that there's an outrage right now, I guess, about uh, protests that have been peaceful to date. And we certainly continue to encourage that outside of judges' homes. And that's the president's position. That was Circle Bakisaki on May 10th when the protests first started outside of the conservative justices' homes after that memo from the Supreme Court was leaked. But there's the White House. That is that is what she said. That's the president's position. But it is illegal to do so in front of justices and judges' homes. So they were encouraging the commission of, I think it's a felony, to breaking the law. But it was never enforced. Merrick Garland never thought it important enough to enforce. And I, the cynical side of me says, well, that's because these people are pressuring conservative justices, which is what the left wants. If they can pressure them into voting the way they want, then the left is like, okay, they're peaceful. It's all right. doesn't matter if you're terrified. It's okay. Yet Ilhan Omar gets some, some threatening voicemails on her, her machine in her office, and she gets a press conference where she's practically in tears and all this extra security because it's a terrible thing, and, of course, they blame the right. You know, the, the, the white supremacists on the right, she's such a victim. 866-408-7669. We go to Victoria listening on WDBO in Orlando. Hi, Victoria. You're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Mary. I, this morning I was like, let me put on WDBO. And there's Mary. Yay. Because Mary, oh, I so agree with you on everything. Um, like, I, I mean, th- I think I think we've lost common sense in this world. <laughs> I really do. And I feel like like the president has not done a dang thing. And, you know, coming from me, okay, I was like a hardcore Democrat when I was younger. And, like, I don't know, I think my eyes opened when, the, when Trump got into office. And, you know, the, I just feel like the Democrats don't apologize for nothing. I mean, we have all these Democrats here in Orlando and like, you know, when they don't admit they're wrong, but they'll say, I'm going to step down because I want to run and I want to challenge Rubio. But you were wrong. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. 
It's, it's like it's like they're fucking part part of the time. They're freaking hypocrites. That's all it is. They're just hypocrites, and I'm tired of them not taking responsibility for their actions. And they're just pointing out the Republicans and you know, like I thought Republicanism was bad when I was young. Okay, I'm just gonna say I, I thought Republicans from the Republican Party were bad when I was younger. No, 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 no. I think my dad's logic was very flawed, um, and I think that what we're trying to do is good. But I do disagree with our governor, who's trying to censor a lot of things that have have happened in history coming because I'm a history teacher. So I do kind of think that, you know, trying to censor it and critical race theory, I think I think if we don't enlighten our kids and we don't get them knowledgeable, they're not going to make very great decisions when they're adults. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, so. no, I, under, I understand what you're saying. And the whole critical race theory is, is a totally different thing. But I will tell you, if you're a buff, fan of history, read Thomas Sowell's book. He has a book out called Black Rednecks, White and White Liberals. And it is an amazing book. He talks about the history of this country that is not taught. And if you are a, a teacher and you love history, I highly, highly recommend that book. I think you're going to love it, Victoria. I really think you're going to love it. And I lo- also love you admitting. Thank you for that. Thank you for the call. I, I love the fact that you can admit, you know, when I was younger, I was a hardcore Democrat and my eyes were opened. I think that happens to a lot of people. You know, what do they say? You know, my father always told me. You know, when you start paying taxes, you're going to change your tune. And he was absolutely right. My very first paycheck, and I've told the story a zillion times, I was still remember to this day. This is a memory when I am drooling in my 90s in, in a hospice somewhere that, that I will have this memory. I won't know who, like, my family members are, but I will have this memory at my parents' kitchen table. I know exactly where my father was sitting. I was standing, and I come to him with my first paycheck. I'm like, hey, what's this? What's gross and net? I don't understand this what is this and he said let me explain it to you and he goes through everything well they took this money from you to pay for you know people for their retirement and i'm like well why didn't they say for their own retirement and 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 this is for this and this is for that and i'm asking all these questions and he shook my hand and he said welcome to the republican party because my last thing i said to him I was like that's not fair and that's when he said welcome to the republican party and I think parents need to teach their kids fiscal responsibility, but kids don't have jobs anymore. Parents just hand them money. Kids don't have to work for anything anymore. And that's why I think you have so many kids who are such hardcore, even socialists when they grow up now because they're indoctrinated in schools. But then they have a moment like she had where all of a sudden she's like, oh, and her eyes were opened. And that usually comes when you start to pay something called taxes. That's when you usually change your tune. Let's stay in Jacksonville. Uh, let's talk to Damien on WOKV. Damien, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Good morning, Mary. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely. Appreciate you joining me. Go ahead. Well, I'd like to jump on and agree with you on the double standard. Uh, I was just flipping around the channel this weekend, and I caught the uh, speech the president was giving. And he I can't quote him, but basically what he said was, if you don't like rich people and you don't like these oil guys getting all this money, just go ahead. If I could, I would slap them right across the face. Well, what did he say? He said, if you don't like rich people, and then what did he say you should do if you don't like them? He was talking about the CEOs of oil companies, how much money they're making. And he said, if I could, I would punch them. Wait, he, he... 
how did I miss this? The president said that. How did I miss this? I did not know he said that. But you know what, though? He He's say. a tough guy. Didn't he say that about uh, Donald Trump? I take him out back, you know, in school. I take him under the bleachers, you know. Exactly. Uh, he he said that I mean, about Donald Trump, too, and he gets a free pass. So they don't the, – if, if you don't agree with somebody, just yeah. beat them up. Right, it, because it plays into the narrative of, and this is what kids are being taught, if you don't like the way someone speaks, well, that person's a Nazi or they're racist and therefore they're bad and you have the right to punch them. There was this whole, during the summer of love, you know, punch a Nazi thing that was going on and you were righteous in what you were doing because they're, they're bigots. They And we use the term bigot totally wrong in this country. It's been totally morphed into something that, to me, not what it means. And and they're racist, and therefore you can punch them. And you're doing God's work at that point. And being God, being the state, being the left. So I've got to look that up. I did not know, Damien, that he had said that. So I've got to look that up. Thank you so much. Wow. I had no clue. Uh, let's quickly get to uh, Roy in Georgia. Roy, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Good morning. Thanks for taking the call. Um, I just want to get your opinion on what kind of power do you think the uh, Republicans are going to wield when they when they take over in January? Are they going to go mm. full bore on mm. trying to uh, say go to an impeachment because it's uh, for sure that they have violated uh, our laws and have pretty much uh, turned a, turned their back on the Constitution. So here's my feeling. Um, I always say that Republicans have the ability to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory at every turn. Uh, I don't have a lot of faith in the establishment party. I, I just don't. I don't think that people like Mitch McConnell really view the Democrats as worthy of punishment. I They just don't play hardball. They want to go along, in my humble opinion, to get along because they like the gravy train. They like the money. They like the lobbyists. They want to keep their jobs. And Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, and my, I, Lindsey Graham, I think Lindsey Graham talks a good game, but I think he caves on way, way too many times. So I don't have any faith that Republicans are going to do what we want to see them do. Hence, the appeal of Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis as well. Hence the appeal of Jim Jordan, because they are fighters. You know, Chuck, uh, Chuck Grassley there and, and Chuck Grassley is part of the establishment, but he's a fighter. Uh, the, the appeal of Elise Stefanik and of Lauren Boebert and to some extent Marjorie Taylor Greene. I may think that some of the stuff she says is out of line, but she's a fighter. And that's where I think the establishment is wrong in this country. I think they're playing it wrong. And when I say the establishment on both sides, I love that the Democrats don't get it. But the re establishment Republicans don't get it either. And that's why I think they're going to be they're going to be really shocked when the people speak in November. I, re I really think that's a great question, Roy. Um, and p you want to chime in, feel free. You know, if you disagree with me, that's cool. And I will put you on the air well, and that's fine. But I, I just find, I just find that, you know, I don't mean to be rude. We got, we got to run. I'm sorry, Roy. We're, we're running out of time here. Um, I apologize for that, but I, I just don't think that they're going to do what we want them to do, unfortunately. And unfortunately that is going to, I think make the schism in the party even more. And I almost see us developing into the elite part of both parties being the party, the establishment, both the elite of the Democrats and the Republicans almost are like one party. And then you've got the base. So maybe like more, you know, you got the base on the right and the base on the left. So maybe like three parties. But the leaders, I don't think they're for me or for you. All right. More coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Yes, I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. Let's start off with one Michael Goodwin, New York Post columnist and Fox News contributor. Follow him on Twitter at mgoodwin and then underscore NY Post. Michael Goodwin, welcome to the show. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Mary. Thank you. So glad to have you. You have uh, your latest piece is Donald Trump needs a new tune. It's time to move on from old grievances. And I have to tell you, there's some things in here with which I disagree, young man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> have at like, it, Mary. Have at it. <laughs> all right. So, so I agree with you. You know that 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 this whole 2020 Donald Trump has to kind of pull himself out of this. I totally get it. I totally get that it needs to be less of his focus. I do understand, though, that Donald Trump has this need to feel avenged, that he really feels that he should have been president. And, and there are, I would say, pretty much everyone who voted for Donald Trump also feels the same way. You have these investigations going on in Arizona. You have people pleading guilty to stuffing ballot boxes. You, you know, the movie 20, uh, 2000 Mules definitely makes you think. And that capped out at, what, 80,000 viewers on the Saturday night that they did it. And they, they would have crashed the servers had they gone past that. Um, they're making millions on the selling of the video of the DVD because people want to see it. So I think there's a lot of people in this country who feel that 2020 was not on the up and up and not necessarily stolen. Like for me, I don't think it was on the up and up. I think there's a lot of questions that need to be answered and I want those questions answered and I feel like it's being shoved under the rug. So I think that Donald Trump has a strong base of people who feel that they too were stolen from, if that makes sense. Well, I wouldn't disagree with you on on those two key points. He has a strong base of people who believe that the election was stolen and that there were a lot of things about the election that uh, probably were not kosher. Uh, And I think, I mean, for example, Molly Hemingway's book on uh, on the Zuckerberg money, uh, how it was used in a number of states uh, disproportionately to favor Democratic locales. Uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, where uh, her research and others showed that uh, the city officials essentially turned the election, the whole process, over to these non not-for-profits that Zuckerberg had funded and that they were basically all Democratic operatives. Uh, running the show in, in places like Green Bay. Uh, so I don't doubt that there's a lot there. And yet, I mean, I count myself as a Trump supporter in that I voted for him twice. I voted for him in 16 and 20. I think the problem going forward, though, is what really is the base that supports this idea that the election was stolen? I, I can... I can of course, agree that there are things to question about it. That's not what he's doing. He is saying it was stolen, it was rigged, I won. Now, I don't think there is any compelling evidence to that. I think that is an assertion, and I think it's an assertion that serves him in a cynical way, which is that I did nothing wrong. My whole four years, there's nothing to second guess. My campaign was perfect. I won. 
Therefore, there's no sense to question my term. And I think that's part of what he's doing. And I think that it, sec, the second aspect of this is, Mary, is so what does this come to? You're campaigning on this for 2024. I have no doubt that he's planning to run. You're campaigning on this. This is a central plank of your platform. What does it mean? What are you going to do about it? And so when I pressed him on that question in my interview last Friday, he he said for the first time that it meant you had to have a system of ballot control. And essentially what he wants to do is federalize election law so that there's very few, if any, mail-in ballots. Everything would be one-day voting, uh, in-person voting only, uh, uh, voter ID, and no no mail-in ballot unless you're absentee. And absentee would be uh, reserved only for military uh, stationed outside of the United States and for those who are clearly very sick and unable to go to the polls. Now, federalizing election laws is something the Republican Party opposed when Joe Biden tried to do it. Uh, Joe Biden, this is John Lewis Voting Rights Act, would have taken over all of the election laws and set sort of minimum standards. Uh, or maximum standards. So voting ID would not have been part of it. So I don't think the Republican Party is going to go for one size fits all, the federal government taking over election laws. I mean, that is, that is not a small, small government idea. That's a very big government idea. So I don't think that's going anywhere, even though I agree with many of, the, of those ideas. So my point is, what is he really running on? What is the platform? What is Donald Trump's agenda? What did he do wrong? What did he learn from his four years in the White House? We're not getting any of that. We're only getting the election was stolen. If I endorse you, you basically have to believe that. And I would just say finally, quickly, uh, I think he, he's obviously still a very important power within the Republican Party, but it's not unanimous. Uh, I mean, his, for example, and you, and you look particularly in the swing states, his endorsement of uh, Oz, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, Oz won the primary by some, with something like 32 percent of the vote, of the Republican vote. That's a lot of Republicans who did not follow Donald Trump's endorsement. So I think that there is a weakness in this approach, and I think it will not um, I, I think he will not win the presidency by claiming the last election was stolen from him. I just think it's a handicap right. rather than a help. So there's a lot to unpack there. I've made yes. some notes as you were going on there because <laughs> I have I have like three minutes. Um, but but uh, first of all, may I just say how cool are you that you can just get an interview with Donald Trump? Like I, I was I was reading this and like wow. Michael, Michael Goodman's a pretty cool guy. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. But, you know, I, and I actually put an asterisk uh, star when we talk, where you talk about the voting. He didn't say he wants to nationalize it. He thinks this is how the laws should be. And he said he, and he would ban them for a limited absentee program. But I, I think that's what he would want for the Demo, for the Republican run states. I didn't get the vibe from it that he wants to nationalize the elections. I, I just don't think 
I think it's probably a wish. He would love to do it because he doesn't want to see another election stolen, as he believes that one was. And I do think, as you do, I'm old enough to remember when those are pretty much the rules. Like you didn't just get an absentee ballot in your mailbox for you and the other, you know, five other tenants who lived there before you did. Uh, so I'm old enough to remember when you had to request them. Uh, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. And I think most Americans agree with voter ID laws. Most Americans agree with the absentee voting. You know, you have to request a ballot. So I, I, I so that was my take on that section. But the other thing, too, is you're like, well, what else are you going to run on? He can't really say yet because he hasn't declared and he's probably not going to declare until after the midterms. So he can't really say, oh, if I run, this is what I'm going to do, because he can't be seen as campaigning. Right. Because then it affects money, you know, raising money and everything else. Well, no, I, 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 you can be campaigning. You just can't say that you're that you're campaigning for this office in that time. I mean, you're right. It, it triggers at some level. It triggers uh, federal requirements for reporting and that sort of thing. I mean, I think that's what one of the reasons he's holding back. Uh, but I also think there's an issue of, you know, what would his impact be in the midterms? If he were to declare beforehand, which there's, there's a chance he's going to, I, I, you know, he's very close. I mean, he's been telling people. That's why yeah. I called him. He's been telling people he's running. Uh, so he wouldn't tell me that. Uh, so I'm not that cool, I guess. But uh, <laughs> he did. He has been telling people, which is what I heard, which is why I called him. And he wouldn't right. deny it. But he would say, I've already made up. He said, I've already made up my mind. Right. Uh, I, I want to ask you one quick question before I let you go here. We had a call, a caller uh, just before his name was uh, Roy, and he he asked my opinion on if Republicans take everything in November, will they do what the Democrats did? Will there be investigations? Will there be a movement to impeach the president uh, for, because of the southern border? Will there be a movement to impeach Merrick Garland over not enforcing the laws outside of the conservative justices homes? He's not doing his job. Um, those types of things. Do you think that Democrat that Republicans will do that should they take power? No, um, yeah, and I, and I'm not certain that they should do all of the things that the Democrats do. I mean, I think that you know the the tit for tat approach. I think is going to just take us down a road of no return. I mean, I don't think that the Democrats should emulate uh, the bad. Uh, the Republicans should emulate the bad behavior of Democrats. I mean, I understand that. The thirst for, okay, you want to play by those rules? We're going to play by those rules. In some cases, that's true. But I think that you have to be careful. You're not, you're not setting up the next round of this, uh, which will go on endlessly because at some point the Democrats will be back in power. So uh, I, I do think some restraint is necessary. I wish the Democrats would show more restraint, but that's discussion for another day. And and that's that's that I'm with you. I wish you know you got to sometimes head take the high road, but you know Democrats once they're in power will start it all over again. They don't exercise restraint. They go to war and Republicans always say, "Oh, we need to tap the brakes here or else we're going to be at war." They are at war. I firmly believe they are at war and that they are at war with with us. And um you know, you keep playing nice, you're never going to win, but that's just me. Michael Goodwin, thank you so much for joining me. Always a pleasure when I get to speak with you. I was so excited when I heard heard you on today. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure, Mary. Thank you. And you can find his column in the Washington, excuse me, in the New York Post. Oh, my goodness. Listen to me. The New York Post. Donald Trump needs a new tune. It's time to move on from old grievances. Your calls, 866-408-7669. Coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. If you want to join me, it's 866-408-7669. Also, quick note, I keep forgetting to tell you because it's relatively new, but I do have a podcast Thursday evenings, Eastern Time, 715 Eastern. Uh, go to YouTube. And just search on Mary Walter Radio, and you can watch it live and comment. I like uh, like to get the comments in as we go along through the show, uh, or you can um, watch them later, and that's fine too. Love to have you. Uh, we were just speaking with Michael Goodwin about Donald Trump running again, and you know he said you know definitely Donald. He's heard from a lot of people that Donald Trump's definitely running. Is business, Insider Business had a piece saying that Trump is seeking advice on how to attack former staff who may run, and I thought ooh. Mike Pence, right? Like, Mike, it's going to be Mike Pence. And uh, maybe, maybe he would. Maybe Mike Pence will run. And I'm curious what, what you think about that. Should Mike, if Mike Pence should announce that he's going to run, that's going to be interesting. And to see Trump and Pence go at it. But, um, Michael Goodman was saying, you know, Donald Trump needs a new tune. Donald Trump needs to to stop with the election was stolen and, and he can't, he can't make that the base of it. But I think since he has not, announced he's not really campaigning but when he does go out he does these rallies he's still doing rallies you often hear that a lot during a 2020 was stolen where i'm gonna avenge it and i get it i get his need for revenge get it but i don't know if he really has to tell us what he's gonna do all he has to do is go in and undo everything joe biden has done and just go back to what he was doing before and i think the country will be much better for it that that's what i think so I'm just curious. And he also said, you know, we, we need to tone down the rhetoric on both sides. We can't do because I asked him what a listener had asked her. Are there are the Republicans going to investigate? You know, let's do some investigations in, into some of the things that have been going on. Let's do, you know, should Garland be impeached because he's not enforcing the law when it comes to conservative justices? He's allowing intimidation. What about Mayorkas with the southern border bankrupting this country, not enforcing the law, putting Americans at risk? And he said, I don't think Republicans are going to do it, and I don't know if they should. And i got to tell you, I kind of disagree. 866-408-7669. Let's go to John in North Carolina. John, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hey, what's going on? How are you today? I'm doing great. Go ahead. So I've been a libertarian ever since I could vote. Um, and I've always been squarely in the middle. And what I was wondering is – you know, when are we going to have a candidate that is going to run solely off of the fact that I am the better candidate for office and here's why? The one thing I don't like is the extremism on both sides mm -hmm. of the Republican and Democratic Party, where it's either you're all Republican or you're all Democrat and there's no middle ground. And I think that that's a huge mistake. Most people are in the middle. We're leaning one way or the other, but... Like, for instance, myself, my wife, most of my friends, we're going to lean one way or the other. Nobody wants their 90-year-old grandfather to run the country, okay? The reason that so many people, I think, voted for Biden over Trump was because he made, he made everything so extreme one way or the other. I think in order for Trump to win, he needs to grab more of that middle ground. And for me, that starts with accountability, like – 
I agree with what he was just saying that I don't want to hear that you're a sore loser and that it was stolen from you. Just say, listen, mistakes were made. We've learned from them. We lost the election. We're going to win this one. Go out and tell me why you deserve to win and and go and go and do it. So, but with, quickly, I don't have a, a lot of time left here, but when you say accountability, you want to see accountability. That's what I'm saying, because honestly, I'm not a registered Republican, but the Democrat Party, as far as I'm concerned, has moved so far to the left that I find myself leaning, agreeing more with the right. And which is one of the reasons I voted for Donald Trump, because he was that guy who came up and said, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not a politician. I can fix the problem. And in my opinion, I think he did a great job of fixing a lot of what was wrong with this country, which is why so many people in the establishment were against him. So but I also feel like I want to know, let's investigate. Let's find out if my vote counted. I just want to know that. That's all I and I let's secure our elections. I think that that's an important thing. Um, So, you know, I, I guess my question is, do you not think that Trump did that? I think that Trump made the country, I'll say, from where we were um, when he was in office to where we are now, I see a discernible difference that things are worse. It's, I think it's clear to many people that everything is more expensive. Yeah. You know, things are, a lot, are a, lot, a lot worse than they were. The problem is, is that we now live in such a socially divisive time it's not the same as it was 15 years ago. And so you have to also, like, I feel like he has to tone down the the whining. And the, I feel like he did a lot of whining when he was in office. And it was a lot of petty, tacky stuff that in the time we live in, it divided a lot of people. Where even if they agreed with his policies... Yeah. They were going to vote against him no matter what he did because of how he was as a person. Like, I've been a blue-collar worker my whole life. Yeah, I got to go. I don't mean to cut you off. I got to go. Sorry about that. But, you know, he whined a lot when he was in office. Yeah, because look what they did to him. They were spying on his campaign. They were doing everything they could to keep him from being able to run the country. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. When liberals scream, do something after a mass shooting, why aren't we also dealing with the fact that the average American kid sees 200,000 acts of violence on screens before the age of 18? It's funny, Hollywood is the wokest place on earth in every other area of social responsibility. But when it comes to the unbridled romanticization of gun violence, crickets. Weird. The only thing we don't call a trigger is the one that actually has a trigger. <laughs> I'm Mary Walter, and for Brian Kilme, that was Bill Maher on HBO on his Friday night show. And he's right. There's a lot of hypocrisy going on when it comes to firearms in this country, to no surprise, at least to me, that there is a lot of hypocrisy uh, around the issue. But it was just announced that there is a bipartisan group of senators who have come up with uh, a gun deal. Now, they only have the framework. So I was reading what they say the framework does, but they don't have any words, so there's no specifics. So it's super hard for me to say, oh, okay, this is bad or okay, this is good. I want to wait and see. I don't want to pass the law and then find out what's in it because – I saw how well that worked out with healthcare. Remember that? Um, 
so they have 10. There are supposedly 10 Republicans who can get behind it. So this will overcome any kind of filibuster. They could they can pass this bill if they stick to it. But again, the devil is in the details. It's uh, it provides resources to states and tribes to create and administer laws that help ensure that deadly weapons are kept out of the hands of individuals whom a court has determined to be a significant danger to themselves or others consistent with state and federal due process and constitutional protections. Uh, there's a national expansion of Community Behavioral Health Center, mo- the, that model, with major investments to increase access to mental health and suicide prevention programs to support services available in the community, including crisis and trauma intervention and recovery. Uh, there's a protection for domestic uh, victims of domestic violence. Convicted domestic violence abusers and individuals subject to domestic violence restraining orders are included in NICS, including those who have or have had a continuing relationship of a romantic or intimate nature. So I guess if you're celibate, you can get your gun back. I don't know. I have a question about this one because I think um, protection orders are abused by a lot of people, a lot of people in this country. They don't get what they want, especially like a breakup. And I will say it's women who really abuse this more than men. Sorry, ladies, but you do, you know, you run to go get a protection order because I'm going to show him, you know, I'm going to ruin his life. And I know people who have had their lives ruined because of this, because you have to prove your innocence. You know, a temporary restraining order doesn't go on your record because, you know, you get the 10 day cooling off period. You go in front of a judge, but still you have to go in front of a judge and argue your innocence, hire a lawyer in a lot of cases. So this to me is a bit of a slippery slope, but, um, and when it comes, when it comes to domestic violence, a restraining order is just a piece of paper and a lot of people walk through it. Uh, it, it invests in programs to expand mental health and supportive services in schools, including early identification and intervention programs and school-based mental health and wraparound services. Great. We need that. I saw a study that said that something like 70, 76% of college-age students answering a survey said that they've had some kind of mental health crisis. 76%. What is happening? We have a big problem with the younger generation. Uh, invest in programs to help institute safety measures in and around primary and secondary schools, support school violence prevention efforts, and provide training to school personnel and students. Great. But as we saw in Uvalde, if the door that's supposed to automatically lock doesn't automatically lock, the shooter walks right into the school. In almost every single one of these school shootings, there's been protocol in place. There's been safety, safety instructions in place that weren't followed. Somebody didn't do what they were supposed to do. So you can have all of these protocols in place, but if people don't follow what they're supposed to do or the door is going to be fixed, but it hasn't been fixed and the shooter walks right in, it, it doesn't help. It's going to crack down on criminals who illegally evade licensing requirements. People who legally evade licensing requirements are going to continue to illegally evade licensing requirements. And I don't know, Hunter Biden springs to mind. If they were serious, they should charge Hunter Biden and arrest him. But they're not serious. So when I see this, I'm like, okay, criminals shockingly don't follow the law. And rarely are they ever actually held to it. Example A, Exhibit A, Hunter Biden. It invests in programs that increase access to mental and behavioral health services for youth and families in crisis via telehealth. How many of these parents said, I knew my kid was troubled. I knew my kid was a problem, had problems, and was a danger to himself and maybe others as well. And I couldn't get any help. The cops say, hey, this isn't our problem. He hasn't committed a crime. We can't help you. 
and uh, schools, there is a dearth of, of guidance counselors in schools. It's a big problem. There's things like two, one school, I think it was the Uvalde system. Don't quote me on that. So there was only like two counselors for 600 kids. Clearly this generation and the one just slightly ahead of it has a mental health issue. They're, they're in crisis and maybe we need to invest in more counselors. I don't think that that's a bad use of my money. For buyers under 21 years of age, it requires an investigative period to review juvenile and mental health records, including checks with state databases and local law enforcement. If somebody really wants to hurt someone, that kid's going to get a gun illegally. That would have only, because the the Uvalde shooter passed a background check. He didn't have a mental health record, as far as I know, because he wasn't receiving mental health counseling, was he? You can correct me on that if you you want to, 866-408-7669. I'm just going off the top of my head. Um, But a lot of these kids got their guns illegally or stole them, stole guns that were legally acquired and stole them. There are crackdowns on criminals who illegally straw purchase and traffic guns. I guess what? Gun traffickers, much like drug traffickers, clearly aren't going to follow the law. It's like when you have the signs that say gun-free school zone. It's amazing how criminals ignore those signs. So that to me, really, you're going to make, but if they do, if they do get caught, it's going to be a harsher penalty. Okay. The mental health stuff I think is great. I think, the you know, honestly, we should, in every single school, in my humble opinion, have the up-to-date uh, video surveillance. There should be surveillance from the moment those kids walk in the door. Even the surrounding grounds should be surveilled. We should have someone monitoring that 24 hours a day. We should have our children should get the same kind of protection that we have in jewelry stores. You know where you have to walk into the little antechamber, you walk in the first door, and then you have to push the button, and they check you out to see if they want to let you in? Or the same type we have in our banks, or I don't know, for Congress. Why do we not protect our children with guns, but it's okay to protect Congress with guns? We, our children deserve the best protection. So we, ha- we sent $52 billion to, U- to Ukraine and guns and weapons and everything else. I don't know, could we have taken $1 billion to secure our kids? 866-408-7669. So we don't have words yet. We just have the basic outline there. Let's go to Alexander on KFTK in Missouri. Alexander, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi there. Mary, right? Yes. Well, good morning, Mary. You're making a lot of valid points, and I do appreciate that. But there's there's so much more to this issue, and it's so crucial to the left to destroy gun owners' rights in any way they can. You know the arguments. They tell you, what do you need a gun like that for? Exactly. After all, yeah, what do you need an AR with armor-piercing bullets? Because gears don't have – it has nothing to do with hunting. Right. Nothing. Right. Okay, we're talking self-defense. We're talking self-defense of an individual. That's one thing – and I'm an NRA member. I'll admit that. And uh, as an NRA member, they regularly put in their magazine – the times where people have either saved their life or other people's life with the use of firearms. The mm-hmm. FBI stats, I'm sure you have them available, uh, they've uh, said that guns have been used something like two and a half million times a year. But most of those times, those guns aren't even fired. They just basically brandish them or somebody hears the cock of a 12-gauge and says, yeah. Oop, you know, I think I better leave. So, you know, that happens, but there's uh, so much in the way of defensive use and good positive use of guns 
that has happened that the media, of course, this is all part of the Marxist plot, you know, to to uh, take our guns away. And every country that's done that, you know what has happened. Uh, we're the last bastion. Australia knows that. I know people in Australia. Uh, they're really going to a real rough spell right now with a run amok government with COVID. But uh, we need to go after the criminal politicians, which is why your Goodwin character there was simply off base when he said, do not prosecute these Democrats. These are criminal politicians. They need to be pursued, prosecuted, imprisoned, and whatever. Get them out of positions of power. Uh, they are abusing yeah. them. Uh, they are using them in conjunction with corporations. If you're familiar with Schweitzer's book, Red Handed, I mean, they're they're actually being paid to do things that are going to help put China in a stronger position in America where they can be more dominant. And uh, who knows? what? It doesn't look good. But uh, we've got to go after these criminal politicians. We can't sit on our, our tukuses yeah. anymore and just say, well, you know, uh, we, we shouldn't do what they do because we, we want to look as bad as – no. I mean they've committed criminal acts of treason. How many people do you think have died along the border? I'm, I, because of criminal actions by the illegal immigrants and the drug traffickers and everything else that are coming, not only people coming across, but when they come across the crimes they commit after that. Yeah, Alexander, so uh, listen, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I think that if someone breaks the law, they need to be held accountable. But this is part of the two tier system we have. And when someone says to me, well, why do you need an AR? Because you know, they don't they know nothing about firearms at all when they say things, you know, a lot of things. And and I will say to them, well, why do why do we protect Congress with ARs? Well, you know, there are politicians that go, oh, so their lives are more valuable than your child's? I don't understand that. I'm sorry. Why is a congressperson's life more valuable than children and than your child in school? And then, then you never hear from them again on Twitter. It's great. Or they block you, which I love. Uh, but but it, to me, it's a very simple argument. We should all have the same protection. The same people who want to take away guns from law-abiding gun owners also, though, want to force you to be force you to be dependent on the police that they also want to defund. Mm. I don't know. I'm not super happy with that. All right. 866-408-7669. Lots of calls. I will get to all of them coming up on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I will put this bill on the floor ASAP as soon as possible so that Congress can quickly act to do something meaningful against gun violence. As author of the Brady Law, I am particularly, particularly pleased that for the first time in close to 30 years, Congress seems ready to reject the vice-like grip that the NRA has had on the Congress and move forward to meaningful gun legislation. Okay, so, you know, that's, that's Chuck Schumer. You know, we're with the vice-like grip the NRA has. This is what they do. They paint people, you know, their opponents in such ridiculous terms and, and lie, of course, and that that's what they do. But 
the left, their base thinks the NRA is out of control and they want to kill children. I've heard like the weirdest accusations from people who are against, you know, gun rights against the Second Amendment. Um, but the NRA is for a lot of these safety courses and and for using a firearm safely and for education. And and they're OK with a lot of 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 the restrictions that are in place in the sense of like when I say restrictions, IDs and that type of stuff. But remember. They don't want an ID to vote to exercise that right because it's a constitutionally guaranteed right. But if you're poor or, hey, if you're African-American in this country, you don't have an ID because that's what they tell me about ID for voting. So African-Americans don't have IDs. So how can they get a gun? They're denying them their Second Amendment right because they don't have IDs to, to get most states to be able to get a gun. It costs money. You have to pay. I know in the state of New Jersey is insane. You have to pay to be fingerprinted. You have to pay for your firearms ID card. You have to pay for your background check. And now the firearms ID card in New Jersey, um, it's going to expire every four years now. It was, you know, for life. But now it's every four years. You gotta go to, so you're going to pay for the fingerprinting again, the background check again. When you have a gun transferred to a fire. Uh, a licensed dealer in FFL, um, you you have to pay for that. You, so, you know, they're really, if that was, if you had to pay to vote, that would be a poll tax. But it's okay to disenfranchise poor people and black people from their right to defend themselves and protect their families. That's okay on the left. Now, I'm not saying I don't want, you know, certain, certain stop gaps. I think that that's okay. But, I would like consistency, but I'm a little crazy. 866-408-7669. Naomi in Washington, you are on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Naomi. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me on. Uh, To your point earlier, I would like to say a few things about elementary schools and protection uh, from shooters. I A, yes, you were correct, where there's approximately one counselor, especially at the elementary level, for anywhere from four to 700 students. Counselors are treading water. There's no way that they can keep up. Um, We need more counselors in every school building, especially at the elementary level. Uh, It feels as though at elementary level, we have staffing uh, that is so much leaner than at middle or high school. Certainly populations are higher, but even at high population elementary schools, uh, staffing, people are doing the jobs of what three or four or five people do at um, middle and high school levels. Getting to the, uh, to the office scenario, the people in the office are the people that are the first people on the front line when it comes to protection for students and staff in that building. And if, store, if doors are open, it just creates that much bigger of an issue. I worked at an office. I had the button on the wall and the ability to be able to hit it. Although the problem was was that I was doing 20 other things at one time along with the other office staff, which by the way, was only one other person. So I would be protecting students, staff, and by the way, covering the health room, stopping nosebleeds, any health emergencies, registering students, Mm -hmm. taking phone calls, finding lunch for people, uh, monitoring behavior students who had been sent to the office because the teacher can't manage them at the time. We need more staffing, is my point. We need more staffing and more help. Elementary gets slighted, in my opinion, and the doors need to be locked. People need to be buzzed in. And if someone does have an AR, unfortunately, they can blast through the glass. So I would like to also see an investment in bulletproof glass, at least for the front doors. 
and keeping the remainder of the doors locked in the building. No propping doors open, right. none of those things. And and your point is well taken that there are staffing problems. I think there's there's much larger problems with our schools that go that go past you know just the staffing. You, you know you unpacked a lot there, a, a lot to stay there. But there are there are plenty of school districts in this country and states that were given money to upgrade their schools after COVID because you know nobody would go back to work until they had filtration systems. They had this, they had that, and everything else. We paid in my town, which has uh, I don't I think it's got I don't know how many. There's like one classroom for each grade. It's very small. We put air conditioning in the school, and the kids aren't in school in the summer. I'm like okay. Not quite sure why that's happening, but sure. So I think there's a lot of money that has not been spent. We know there's a lot of money that hasn't been spent from COVID. These schools should be taking that money and they should be hardening their schools with it or maybe hiring guidance counselors. But I would prefer to see, like you said, let's have bulletproof glass. Let's let's do other things. Behavioral issues with kids. Maybe we need to reassess whether we need to have some kids who are in class right now. Maybe shouldn't be in class right now. I did a, another show uh, last week or two weeks ago, and someone said that, yeah, she's a teacher, and they have one student, and there's a code word when this kid acts up that the other kids leave the room. Okay, why is that kid in class? So I think there's a lot to unpack as far as all of this goes. I'm Mary Walter, and you're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yes, I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade with you. Let's talk a little bit more about international uh, politics. We've been staying close to home. Let's talk about what's happening, especially in Ukraine, because we're getting reports that the war, the balance of the war, the the thrust of the war may have taken a turn and be going against the Ukrainians now. You know who would know that would have the answer? General Jack Keane, retired four-star general, chairman of the Institute for the Study of War, and Fox News senior strategic analyst and all-around great guy. General, thank you for joining me. I'm delighted to be here. Good talking to you, Mary. Oh, always good to talk to you. So that's what we're hearing. You know, we're hearing that the battle now is is going against the Ukrainians, that it is favoring the Russians at this point in the game. So, of course, Vladimir Putin is not going to say, yeah, let, let's compromise. Let's have peace talks now. If the if the uh, Ukrainians are on their heels right now, back on their heels, this is, I would think, an impetus for Putin to want to take even more from the Ukrainians. So is what we're hearing true that they're back on their heels well it's true that the russians are are making some gains at the expense of the ukrainians and what's happening is that this is in the donbass region which is uh in the southeastern part of ukraine where since 2014 the russians have owned a portion of two republics one luansk and the other donetsk about a third of each and now in Luans, they have managed to capture about 90 percent of, of that. Uh, think of it as a province uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in Western terms. And with about 10 uh, percent to go and, and a major city, Severodonetsk is the major city, and that's where the contest really is. And this is more open terrain uh, that's outside the cities. And therefore, the Ukrainians have to build fortified positions as opposed to 
hiding in buildings and suburbs uh, like they were able to do around Kharkiv and also uh, Kiev. And this lends itself uh, to uh, a war of artillery. And the Russians have lots more artillery, almost about 10 to 1. They outgun the Ukrainians in the numbers of artillery, but then they outrange them. And that's why the Ukrainians, Mary, uh, a few months ago, uh, you know, back in, in April, began to scream for uh, artillery weapons. And they've begun to receive some of them. But some of the other countries have promised them it still hasn't happened, that the Germans are, are an example. And we need to give them lots more. Uh, the other thing is they want um, artillery guns that can range the Russians' guns. And I took a briefing in the Pentagon last week on this very subject. And, you know, the briefers were showing us uh, how the Russians are outranging the Ukrainians. And there's nothing the Ukrainians can can do about taking down that artillery. Uh, they don't have the air power to do it. And the Russians' mobile air defense systems are protecting the artillery. And and therefore, the thing that kills artillery the best is other artillery. So what's what's happening here? Uh, the Russians are making these incremental gains, and it eventually could become decisive in terms of who's going to win this artillery war. And the the Ukrainians still have this better skill than the Russians. They've got better will than the Russians, but they don't have sufficient equipment and ammunition that the Russians have. The Russians uh, outman them. They out-equip the Ukrainians. And, and they have more ammunition uh, than the than Ukrainians have. So what is absolutely needed is more artillery and more ammunition, and particularly artillery that can range the Russians. Secretary Austin is meeting this week, I think it's Wednesday, uh, with the so-called 40 nations that promised support for Ukraine. Some of them have promised that support and haven't delivered. I hope he, he lowers the, the boom on those countries. And also make certain that our our process uh, in getting equipment to them is accelerated as much as possible. It takes us longer to make the decision to support them on a certain type of weapon than it does to deliver the system to them. And that's what happened initially with the artillery a couple of months ago. And it also happened with the so-called multiple rocket launchers, which they finally made a decision which was favorable, but it took a couple of months to make that decision. All this, every single day, the Ukrainians are losing more and more people. And, and there's got to be a sense of urgency here. So they also say that they're they're running out of things like ammo and, and and i don't know if we have the ability to to produce the ammo in this country so who is is that incumbent upon us i mean it seems like a lot of this is falling incumbent upon the us uh from what i understand the european countries have spent about 8 billion and we've sent you know like we've spent like 50 i think it was 52 billion at last count is this really the us's war that we're basically fighting by proxy in the sense that we're we're funding it. We're, we're the ones footing the bill. Uh, no, I mean, the the United States has provided, as an individual country, more weapons than any other country. But the there are countries that are providing a significant amount of uh, weaponry, uh, to include Poland, that's provided literally hundreds of tanks. And they've just taken the tanks right off the line. It's not that they have all these excess tanks someplace. They have put their own security at risk, uh, recognizing full well. Uh, how important it is to crush the Russian army inside Ukraine. They see it for what it really is. It enhances their security, sure. and they're willing to take a risk with it. 
but no, but the United States is. Listen, Mayor, we're the indispensable leader here. Is that no, no doubt about it. And it, one of the positive things that have come out of this is to remind the world how important the United States leadership truly is. I mean, if you're going to get something done, the United States is likely going to have to lead it. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a serious issue that's facing. Uh, the Ukrainians, because they can get worn down over time here, Mary. And I, I don't believe Putin has ever given up on going back to the capital of Kiev and taking it down and toppling the government. I think that people who are trying to suggest to Putin uh, that negotiate and get, find an off-ramp for him, he doesn't have an off-ramp. His idea is absolutely to take control as much of Ukraine as it's physically possible given the limitation of his forces, and stay in that country with Russian forces and continue to wear down the Ukrainians economically, devastate them, and actually push them to a failed state. And that's why he's, he's blockading all the cargo ships to come in and pick up uh, Ukraine's uh, agricultural products, particularly mm -hmm. uh, wheat and corn. And, and that's what he's about. He's in this for the long term. And we have to we have to recognize this. And I think some people, France, Germany, and maybe some in the administration also, would just like to see this stalemated and some kind of ceasefire, and hopefully it just goes away. Well, it's not going to go away, in my mind, because Putin, the only way this ends is Putin gets stopped. Right. Negotiations aren't going to end this. Putin's going to be in this until he gets what he wants, which is complete control of Ukraine. So I, I have so many questions for you because you, you explain it so well, and, and I really appreciate that because it's on a level that, you know, the average person can understand. So when, when you talk about like, how this is dragging on and how it took so long to make the decision about what um, weapons we were going to send, I almost wonder if it's something like one step forward, two steps back, because the time that we take, if we had squashed this earlier on, it would not be dragging out like this. Do we stand uh, seeing this war drag out for years and we're going to be bogged down in supplying this for years? It's possible. Uh, and, uh, it, uh, and that's why I think it's, it's a, it, the onus is on the other countries as well as the United States to really step up and right. accept some risk. I mean, Poland actually has shown the way. The United States has shown the way. We have depleted some of our stockage levels that the United States needs, you know, particularly for javelins and stingers. Mm -hmm. We have given those weapons to, to the Ukrainians. And if we had to get into a conflict today, we're going to be a little challenged by that. But we've accepted the risk. And part of the money that has been authorized by the Congress, Mary, you know, the $40 billion, which mm -hmm. grew actually larger than that, some of that money is to buy back those stockpiles, in addition to giving Ukraine authorization for for more, for more weapons. Okay. But that example that we're setting and what Poland's setting and what the United Kingdom is setting is what some of these other countries have to do and, and step up yeah. and really provide some support and get it there quickly. I have, I only have, I have to let you go. I'm so sorry. I wish I, I wish I could keep you, but I know I have to let you go. There is a report, this is my last question. There is a report that Russia is rationing its use of precision rockets and they're instead resorting to increasingly imprecise rockets. Uh, does, does that mean that they're running out of this type of ammo? Yes, it does. They've had a precision gun ammunition problem uh, from the outset and have been very cautious 
in the in the use of that, and they just likely did not anticipate how much usage it it would be required, uh, particularly given the fact. Remember where the Russians were, Mary? They thought this was going to be over in a few days. Right. And and here we are, 108 days, 109 days, and now the Russians know that they're involved in a protracted war. But, yes, they, they don't have the stockpile to take care of it. Uh, and, and that's a good thing. That they Absolutely. Have those kinda, they, always, they have those kind of shortages. Absolutely. Well, General Jackine, thank you for your time. Always a pleasure to get to talk to you because I always learn something, and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, great talking to you, Mary, and your audience. Thank you. Your calls, 866-408-7669, 866-408-7669. I'm Mary Walter. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. If you want to join me, it's 866-408-7669. We're just speaking with General Jack Keane uh, about Ukraine and Russia and where that's heading and the American commitment to it. It's so complex. And you put China in there and... You know, if, you, if you're a student of history, you look at this and go, oh, I think we've seen this play before. And, and you wonder where this is going to go and how long this is going to play out. And, you know, all the questions I didn't get to ask him, like, does, does Putin, you know, take uh, Moldova next and, and, you know, Belarus? And is this going to expand? And this is why Poland is happening. General even said this is why Poland is so eager to help Ukraine, even to their own detriment of protection of their own country by giving them uh, tanks and things like that, because Ukraine is what stands between them and Russia. Uh, We were also discussing this framework that was uh, put out by the senators, this bipartisan group, and there's there's no text to it yet. So we we know they're going to talk about they're they're focusing on mental health, hardening our schools, um, you know, stiffer penalties for people who obtain guns illegally. And I just laugh at that because like, really, they're obtaining the guns illegally. You can put in whatever penalties you want. Um, Probably isn't going to deter them, but I'm a simple person. <laughs> so, uh, let's let's go with Eric on uh, in Orlando, listening on WDBO. Eric, you are on the Brian Kilmeade show. Hi. Hey, Mary, you're a, you're a great uh, guest host on this show. Thank um, you. There's there's three main things that they're forgetting, but I, I like the clip that you played of Chuck Schumer bragging that he wrote the Brady Bill. That sure works well, doesn't it? <laughs> um, you you brought up. The uh, gun-free zone that Joe Biden authored, I mean, that's just created a whole bunch of fish in a barrel. We're well-armed down here in Florida, and the only shootings we've had were in Parkland High School where they had fish in a barrel. Uh, the other part number two that they're ignoring is uh, they're talking about the, the kids and the mental health. And uh, 
I work for a major drug supply company, and we're very HIPAA educated. And little Johnny's seeing a shrink, and little Johnny's on meds. But you can't talk about little Johnny if you committed a HIPAA violation. They need to change the HIPAA laws. And along with the youth, uh, 21's not going to solve much because a lot of these shooters are well over 21. But they have records. And like that lady who I guess was an educator said, we have these things that we need to do. Well, they, they know about these kids, and they got a record. But once they turn 18, that record gets erased, and you start all over. So, I, and I mean, the FBI, a lot of these guys were finding out were on the FBI watch list. This one kid talked to the sheriff. The guy in Buffalo was on the FBI watch list. San Bernardino Buffalo uh, FBI watch list. They're just watching guys with MAGA hats. That's all the FBI is doing. Your take on all this. Yeah, I I totally agree, Eric. Thank you for that. I, I think, listen, I, I pulled it up. Uh, Forbes just uh, uh, just was talking about, they have an article out that most college students suffer a mental health crisis, uh, that colleges are facing mental health crises. And um, it, a study published in the Archives of General Psychiatry found that nearly half of college-aged individuals who were interviewed between 01 and 00, from 01 to 02, so this is old, had a psychiatric disorder over the previous year. So 20 years ago, a decade later, a survey of college students uh, conducted by the National Alliance on Mental Illness from August 2011 to November 20, 2011 revealed that 73% had experienced some type of mental health crisis during college. So we have a generation that is now in college and coming up that has mental illness issues. There, and and I, I'm glad that we've just destigmatized it, but I also wonder if we have a generation coming up that also can't handle adversity. And I think that what we're there, they are self-classifying as a mental health issue. These kids is really, you know, something not going your way. A lot of it is just what they call anxiety. I have anxiety. I have anxiety. I'm like, no, it's called a rough day. I, I, so I do think that we have a need for more mental health services because so many kids are medicated now. We're just like, oh, yeah, I'm depressed. So we put them on medication. I can't sleep. We put them on medication. Uh, I, I think that there is a lot more that needs to go into all of this. But to Eric's point is, you know, if the FBI is following these kids, but that's all they're doing and they're not doing their job, what do you expect the schools to do? Right. I think parents need to be more involved in all of this as well. Parents need to look at their kids. And I like the idea that is supposedly part of this framework where they talk about giving parents the ability to have access to some kind of mental health intervention, if you will. You know, if, if one of the kids with the Uvalde shooter came home and said, you know, the kid had slashed his face and his friend talked about that after the fact and, and said, oh, it was a cat. You know, he got scratched by a cat and we find out, yeah, probably one of the cats that he was killing and stuffing in a plastic bag and carrying around with him. But if your kid comes home and tells you that, you know, hey, this kid's doing this, what do you as a parent do? He's not in a home situation. He's living with his grandparents. Do you call the grandparents? Do you, you call the police? They're going to tell you, we don't have, we can't do anything about this, even though torturing animals is a huge sign. There's no path, and I think that that needs to be put in place to be utilized to help these kids, not not incarcerate them, not ding them, not ruin the rest of their lives, but to intervene and get them help now. Because they're always saying, if you say something, if you see something, say something. When it comes to these kids who are exhibiting some behaviors that are that are you know red flags, 
and everybody sees the red flags, but they don't know where to go to intervene. And I think we need that. I'm Mary Walter, and you are listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. More coming up. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade. And just a reminder, uh, on Thursdays, I do have a podcast, 7.15 Eastern Time, p.m., not a.m. Oh, Lord, no, not a.m., p.m. Uh, it's on YouTube. Just go to YouTube and search for Mary Walter Radio, or Mary Walter usually bring you uh, to it as well. And if you can't join us live at 7.15 on Thursdays, there's a whole bunch of, of previous episodes of the podcast that you can um, sit and watch. You know, just check it out. I would appreciate that. Uh, you know, Britain, some, you know, Europe, Europe sometimes is ahead of us with a lot of things and we're behind us on other things. And the left is always screaming, we should be more like, you know, every other developed country and we need, you know, so- socialized medicine and all stuff. They always point to Europe that we should follow their lead. Now I got to tell you, I think this one, I think I might be able to get behind this one. They're, they're doing an experiment in Britain. And they have about 70 companies in the UK that are taking part in a six-month trial. And it involves about 3,300 British workers. They're trying out a four-day work week. I can so get behind this. A four-day work week. And, and to me, this is also why I think uh, we learned from they, – they say we learned this from the pandemic. But I also think we learned from the pandemic that you don't necessarily always have to be in the office to be productive. And people will spend more time working at their job when they're not spending – an hour and a half doing their hair and makeup, guys, you too, uh, doing their hair and makeup. And then you've got to you spend an hour in the car to get to work or however you commute to get into wherever you go to work. And, you know, you spend the hour on the way home. There's less time with the family. I, I think people are spending more time actually working then. And they also have more free time because they have that extra hour or two that they're not sitting in the car commuting. And it makes for happier workers and people are getting their jobs done. Things were, things were getting done. So I, I thought that that was a learning experience, but I know a lot of uh, corporations are trying to bring everybody back into the office because they're paying ridiculous amounts of money for their physical operation, right? So they want to feel like it's being used. So I want to get your thoughts on this. I'll tell you more about the experiment. 866-408-7669. Could you do your job four days a week? Now, obviously, this job can't be done four days a week. Radio and television and, and some others, you know, doctors, nurses, that type of thing, uh, r- require it's, it's a seven day, 365 seven type of job, right? And, and 24 hours as well. Like, we, there's no snow days. We always used to joke around, there's no snow days in radio. And, and no one comes to get you. Like TV, they send, like, you know, cars to come and get you to transport you to the studio and back again. Radio people, we have to take mass transit or we have to drive ourselves or walk or ride a bicycle or whatever. And we just have to be there. Uh, same thing for doctors and nurses. They have to be at the hospital or, or their, their place of business. They can't just work four days a week. But some of these, some corporations can do it. There are two nonprofit groups that are behind organizing this in the UK. 
Their CEO said, as we emerge from the pandemic, more and more companies are recognizing that the new frontier for competition is quality of life and that reduced hour output focused working is the vehicle to give them a competitive edge. And you look at it when they did studies to find out who wants to continue to work remotely. The younger you are, the more likely you are to say, yes, I want to do my job remotely. The older you are, the less likely you are to say, you know, I want to stay home which I don't understand. I'm a big fan of staying home and doing your job. I love it. I think it's great. I got my job done. We, we had, you know, we're getting bonuses for, for ratings and, and production and all that kind of stuff. So we were clearly doing well working remotely. And, and think of the money, if you are a business owner, you can save by not having a physical plant, by not having to pay, you know, rent for all these offices that no one's in right? Salespeople, they can be out of the office. They don't really need an office to be in. So um, I like it, but I think there are some CEOs, some managers who just aren't comfortable if they can't see you. If I don't have eyes on you, I don't know that you're working, which I I think would show in their productivity if they're not doing their job, right? If they're not doing their job, you're going to know based on their, their performance. It, It should be pretty easy to measure. So I love this, 866-408-7669. And I'm curious to find out if you wanted to go back to work full-time. You know, I, that, I and be in the office full-time. You know, I, I didn't. I left my job because the gauntlet was laid down that you will be here five days a week, seven. And I was commuting from New Jersey to Washington, D.C., living away from my husband on the, uh, during the week, you know, driving down on Sundays, getting back in the car on Fridays, driving back to New Jersey on Fridays. I was home Saturday to get everything done that I had to do. And then Sundays, packed the car and did the whole thing again. So the quality of life was a huge deal for me. And again, younger people are far more um, vocal about not wanting to, to go into the office. And I, I think that they're leading the way on this. So the UK trying out this four-day uh, work week. Now, Boston College, there's an economist and a socialist at Boston College named Juliet Shore. And she is working with four-day week global to measure companies and employees' output and job satisfaction and the environmental impact as they participate. She, she's also studied other four-day week trials that have taken place in Canada, Ireland, and the U.S. I didn't know, even know we did it here. But again, think of the money you'd save in gas. If you only had to drive in four days a week instead of five, that extra day, that's huge. Think, come on, greenies, think of the impact on the environment if people aren't, you know, running into work all the time. Because I know people who go to work and they leave the air conditioning on for the dogs or the TV on for the dogs and and the lights on and things like that. I hate to come home to a dark house in the fall. So they leave the lights on in the house. Think of the amount, if people are home already, you wouldn't be duplicating it because they wouldn't be going to an office that's lit, et cetera. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm crazy and I'm looking for an upside where there isn't one. You tell me, 866-408-7669. Let's head to Gainesville, Florida. Anthony, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi. Good afternoon. Glad you took my call. Um, since you're talking about this topic, I'll tell you a funny story. I had my septic tank pumped out during COVID, and I asked the guy how his business was. He said, business is great. Because um, everybody's staying at home using all that toilet paper. <laughs> 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 but, 
but about the four-day work week, you got to have a system. Like, okay, if you're the the, the boss is like the parents, you got to be willing to trust your kids to make this work or have a means that you can um, judge them whether they're doing the job. If they're creating websites, you just go to the website. Hey, they did the updates. They did. You got that. If they're mowing yards, then yeah, you go. If you're getting complaints from your customer, hey, this yard's not getting cool. Uh, you know, mode. So you got to have a means of um, uh, watching them. Right. And I think with the cameras today uh, in every business and every restaurant and all, uh, I understand that. You know, nurses, most of them go four days a week, 12-hour shifts, and then the next week they do three-hour shifts. So it just kind of depends on the um, job. You know, they're doing 48 one week, 36 in the next week. So, But yeah. I think – Really, I think Americans are getting hurt by the economy, and that's what's on their hearts and minds, rather than whether they're working four days a week or five. So. Yeah, and that that is a great point. That's why I was like, well, think of the money you can save by not having to fill your car up because you're saving, you know, commuting. And again, I'm in New Jersey, so the commute for people into the city is insanity. You know, you that I I had to go to this. I had to go out to Long Island on Thursday. And we have a hybrid, thank goodness, because we sat in traffic from the time we got three quarters of the way over the Veranzano Bridge all the way out to out onto Long Island. And it, if we had been in a, in a regular gas car, I can't even imagine the amount of gas that we would have used just sitting, just sitting and going at two o'clock in the afternoon, going nowhere. Now, other parts of the country, that's not as big of a deal because you don't have that kind of traffic that you're dealing with. But I think the time savings and the quality of life issue is a big deal. Anthony, thank you. I, I appreciate your comments. How many businesses have openings that are looking for people, right? Quality of life. Now, you can't do a restaurant job from home, obviously. You can't be a waiter or a waitress or a bartender or something like that if you're in a people business. You can't do that from home. Sales people in stores, you can't do that from home. I get that. But I think there are a lot. And again, within the UK, most of the businesses that are participating in this, about the 70, 70 companies participating, are white-collar type offices. They're not blue-collar jobs. Of course, you can't be an HVAC and do the job from home. Somebody has to go to your clients' homes, right? Um, but I wonder if, like, factories and things, for 12-hour days, do it that way. I, I don't know. I think that that's a great idea. 866-408-7669. You tell me. Coming up on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Mary Walter sitting in for Brian Kilmeade, 866-408-7669. About 3,300 British workers are trying out a four-day work week. It's about 70 companies in the UK, and it's a six-month trial. And I like the idea. Obviously, there are certain businesses in which you can't do that. You can't necessarily uh, just do a four-day work week. Uh, and also, and I combine it with work from home. I think working from home is has just something that we've proven can work thanks to COVID. Companies had to get innovative, and they did, and they kept their companies going. Obviously, restaurants, things like that suffered. But in the areas where you could do it, it worked. Why not continue working for it? Is it about quality of life? 
I think it is. And I think there are corporations that could pay their employees less because of the money the employee is saving by not having to do the commute if you just let them keep working from home. Let's go to Doug uh, listening on KLIN in Lincoln, Nebraska. Doug, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome. Hey, Mary. Great show so far. Thank you. Uh, I'm for it because, you know, as a government worker, I've been doing it for years. I'm a remote worker at home. And in my previous life, before I became a government worker, I was factory worker. So, and I worked for 12 and we did a rotating shift. So you're on three, off three. So yeah, it's a good thing. And it, that way you got time to spend with your family and, you know, decompress and you actually are, it's proven we've actually produced more. See, and I, I love that. I think we have, as Americans, we work super hard. We work harder pretty much than any other country. We get, to, you know, you get the first week working somewhere, you get, what, five days off, maybe 10 if you're lucky for vacation, and then you get a couple of holidays here and there. You know, my European friends think we're insane. What do you mean you got 10 days off? I'm like, well, I'm just starting the job, so, you know, I got 10 days. They're like, are you insane? It's like, yeah, we are. And we yeah. work super long hours. A lot of people in a lot of especially white-collar jobs work super long hours because if you're salaried as, as a manager, um, you're there till the job is done. Um, I know people who are physicians who will work 10, 12-hour days, five days a week. But the yeah, idea, to your point, I think you brought up a yeah, – go ahead. I'm sorry, Doug. Some physicians even work 24-hour shifts multiple days in a row too, you know, that's yeah. their training program. Well, not in the training anymore. They've changed that. Now they have it. They, they can't work any more than so many hours a day. And um, so the, the residents are much more regulated now than they used to be as to how many hours that you can work. And that's a double-edged sword and a topic for another day about whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but I, I think Doug makes a great point, And I think it's quality of life has a, a lot to do with it. If you're stressed out, you're burned out, what good are you to a company? Let's go to Long Island, Tom, on WRCN. Tom, you're on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi. Hi. How are you today? Doing great. Go ahead. What do you think about this four-day work week? I'm the other side of the coin. I'm completely against it. And the reason why, number one, is we're comparing the United States to Europe and Britain. What what are they, uh, fourth-class economies? United States became as big as they are because we work hard. That's number one. Number two is I watched people who are supposed to be working, okay, and I have one customer. She does drug trials for all over the world. You can't get a minute with her. That's how busy she is, and she wishes she had help all through COVID. But on the other side of the coin, I got 10 neighbors I know are being paid, and they're putting in a brand-new deck in the backyard, all during working hours, okay? So they're not – they're killing the economy because they don't hire anybody to work for them anymore. They're doing it all themselves, and that's what's happening. And eventually, we know big business. They are going to find out. This woman that does the drug trials, they know every key she presses, and that's going to come down your throat. Be careful what you wish for because they're going to know you're out at the beach, you're, you're, you're shopping, you're deck, you're playing with your kids out in the yard. Hey, listen, I love quality of life too, but I grew up in this country and I was perfectly happy with the time that my parents spent with them because I understand they got to go to work. Here, 
people look at you, the kids are looking at you, the parents are always home. You know, it's kind of like if you ask the public, it's kind of like asking an eight-year-old, would you like ice cream for dinner for the rest of the week? Of course they're going to say yes. Of course we want to be staying home. You can't do it. Think of the real estate that's going to be shut down just simply because there are no office buildings, factories. We're just not thinking this all out. We're all It's a carrot on the stick. Okay, you're going to get more time off. So vote for us and we're going to give you more. Well, I think you brought up some excellent points. You really did, Tom. Thank you for that. I I do know uh, people who worked from home and absolutely were doing other things when they were listening to a a meeting, a Zoom call, doing other stuff. But their job got done. So if if you have a way to measure productivity, then as long as that person is getting the job done and meeting your expectations as an employer, then if they're doing it from sitting on the beach but they're still getting the job done – then as an employer, why does that matter to you? You know, that's the way I look at that. If they're, if they're producing and doing what I need them to do, do I care if they're sitting in my office? Do I care if they're sitting in their kitchen? Do I care if they're sitting on their back deck? Why do I care? Or sitting on a beach. If they're by themselves, who cares? And they're doing their job. Uh, and, and as far as, oh, the keystroke thing, I do know someone who worked for a company where they, they monitor the keystrokes, but it was on a company computer. So she knew that if she, you know, accessed Facebook, they were going to know what she was doing instead of, you know, doing her job on the computer. So if it's a company computer, I don't have a problem with that. If that's how they want to do it, if you don't like it, come into work. I I think that can be an option for people. If you don't like that, come into work. If you don't want us monitoring the keystrokes on your company issued laptop to do your job or however, whatever the device is, okay then don't be part of this program and we can we can do it that way i'm okay with that very quickly michael listening on wabc michael i've got one minute go how you doing i work for a utility company the big red check mark might give it away but uh we've been working four 10-hour days for for a couple years and then a couple months ago they decided to take them away from us and send us all emails that said hey don't let your truck idle because fuel's expensive so it's absolutely a quality of life issue yeah and it works and you get the job done so and you see you just you just showed me that you can do this if you're in a job where you have to go out and about you just do 10 hour days longer days i think most people would be behind that thank you so much michael don't forget thursdays 7 15 go to youtube look for mary walter radio i'm mary walter and you're listening to the brian kilmeade show From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.